G'day everybody, Steve Waters and Victor Kumar back again for another fortnight filmed live version uh, of Investing Insights with Wright Property Group. And Vic, it's been such an eventful fortnight. It has been. Even since our last podcast uh, in the studios with Phil, just between now and then, so much more news has eventuated, so many indicators have presented themselves, uh, whether it be right or wrong, Mm. and open to interpretation, which we'll talk about today. But there's just been so much happening. That's right, absolutely. And and we finally, um, you know, flipped the R word, uh, recession. We are officially in uh, recession. Um, and um, again, uh, this is something that uh, we did talk about in our uh, live uh, Facebook uh, broadcast uh, last week. Uh, and if you haven't already um, uh, logged on to our Facebook live, uh, then I suggest you follow our Facebook page and you'll be notified when we go on live again. And you can go back and listen to it because it's up there forever right. and ever. And, and what we tend to do in the Facebook lives is we'll, we talk about what's, what we think will be happening over the following weeks and, and months, but also look back retrospectively and talk about some of those big action points, if you will, um, that have driven the, the economy whichever way it may mm-hmm. go. But this fortnight, Vic, I wanted to talk about one of the most um, underreported statistics or pieces of data and I did do a video on this on our Facebook page, I think it was a week ago, and that's around vacancy rates. Whilst there's a general headline figure for it, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think enough time is, is given to it because it's such an important part of the, the overall puzzle. It, it represents our cash flow. That's right. It represents the consistency of cash flow, which essentially in turn represents the value uh, of the property now it's something that not a lot of people will talk about you know it might be location 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 but without the cash flow attached to it it's irrelevant well it is irrelevant and the value is affected accordingly so maybe if and we'll also I also want to talk about uh, commercial property mm-hmm. and how that actually plugs into the equation uh, in some way shape or form around vacancy rates in a holistic um point of view from a portfolio that's right uh, looking at it from a whole portfolio as to when you plug it in uh, or you know what metrics we look at and but but i think um, uh, you're right in terms of vacancy rates in in the sense that the the normal expectation is that the vacancy will be sky high because people are losing the jobs people are uh, not um, uh, finding the properties easily in terms of uh, finding a tenant but our ground research and our ground um, experience right now is showing totally the opposite. This is the thing that I wanted to talk about. It is such a um, polar opposites of what the data and mm-hmm. what the general media is talking about versus what we're experiencing. That's right. As you mentioned on uh, in terms of ground truth. And we've always said that data is directional. Mm-hmm. However, the ground truth will give you the truth behind the data because it's that human element attached to it rather than some algorithm or data set that is just averages and, and the like. So, and I'd, I'd probably be crucified for saying this, but uh, a lot of it is determined also by the journalists looking for story angles and usually it's the negative angles they look for because they sell better. It's, it, it gives greater readability, whereas the feel-good stories don't actually get that readability. Yeah, until the tide turns and then it'll be nothing but good stories. Correct. Like how to become a millionaire overnight and then mm-hmm. that'll self-perpetuate right. from there. But at the moment, I would agree with you, the general uh, media outlook mm-hmm. is all about negativity and right. that there's blood on the streets and that the streets are littered with vacant properties and it's just not the truth. So let's give some context first, I think, around vacancy rates mm-hmm. um, in terms of those benchmark percentages. 
which is kind of the industry standard. So if we have, when they talk about a vacancy rate of 3%, that's, or say 25 to 3%, that's usually equilibrium. So that's where supply meets demand, demand or vice versa. So things are quite solid. Anything above that, we're starting to see that tenants have the upper hand. There's probably too much supply or the economic um, functionality of the localised economies may not be there. Mm-hmm. Yep. If we go down to a vacancy rate of 2%, we're starting to see a tight market and where we might start to see the rents ramp up again. But importantly, what it gives us that sort of two and a half to three and below, so down to two, is a great representation of the consistency of our cash flow, which I'll come back to in a minute. When you get to a vacancy rate of circa 1%, you're in an extremely tight market where you start to see very good chances of the rents accelerating upwards, which in turn will then price will follow mm-hmm. depending on the area. And it's a it's an undersupplied market. Now, now that I've given that bit of context around the benchmark figures, let's talk about what the media is reporting today. Yep. Now, out of the 50-odd regions, uh, 50, 52, 54 regions throughout Australia, major regions, there's only four to five that have a vacancy rate of over 3%. That's important. It's, it's, very a ma- important. it's very important, and that includes our capital, state, and territory. So I think the vacancy rate generally speaking, according to the media, was about 3.2, 3.3%. Now, remember that 3% is equilibrium. If we've got 3.2, that's also, that's an average figure. It's taking into account CBDs of Melbourne, Sydney uh, and Brisbane where the vacancy rates are double digits, 10 to 13%. So that's bringing up the average of that 3.2, which would then mean that on the far opposite end of the scale... You've got vacancy rates in some areas, which are one and a half percent, just to get to that, or to even average, below, even yeah. below one percent. That's right. Yeah. So it's it's important to recognise that a lot of these figures that are bandied around are average figures, because they have to even it out. Uh, otherwise, then we'd have to be reporting it on a suburb by suburb um, uh, basis. And one of the easiest way to find out in any suburb that you're looking at is to talk to the property managers. Great truth. And, and yeah, that's right. And and then have a look also. Uh, on uh, realestate.com.au in, in in the rental sections to see how many are up for rent, but don't take that as as a um, uh, you know uh, something as absolute truth because it could be that there are a lot of other properties that are on the market that aren't listed there because they're going out, they're flying out the door, uh, especially as new constructions uh, finalize, uh, especially as new granny flats are built uh, and uh, tenants and uh, people upgrading their home move on. These properties come and go in the market, so it'll be. Uh, it, sometimes, in some areas, you'll find that it lurches from oversupply to undersupply very, very quickly as the supply gets taken up uh, by people renting out. Right, so um, this is where you have to be absolutely spot on in terms of in your area, in your suburb, in your property. What's the actual rent right now? Do we decrease the rent? Do we increase the rent? Do we let it remain the same? Or do we make our property a lot more attractive in comparison to something else by giving it a quick, quick once-over? Haircut and a shave, as we call it. I think that's a really good point too because if you get granule, which you should do around your properties, and I'll I'll give you an example, is to then identify the types of properties within the suburbs. And I mentioned in in the video that I did a week or so ago that 
there was a an area or a client that I was sitting down doing a review with, and part of the things that we do with a review is to uh, check the income and expenditure and how we can extrapolate more cash flow out of the portfolio or condense the costs. And we went on to the suburb where he had a, uh, a particular property, and in that suburb there was only two properties, sorry, two houses for rent mm-hmm. in the whole of the suburb, two houses. I thought I'd made a mistake and maybe put in you know, 26 bedrooms or something crazy. So we expanded that out to include villas, townhouses, units. So all residential accommodation. It went from two to eight properties in a suburb. Now, why that's important is because this, well, firstly, the suburb isn't a you know, one-trick pony town with you know, a couple of people and a, and a dog, as I think I described it. It's a major, it's half an hour from the met- metropolitan city. Mm-hmm. In the region, however, when you analyse the data there and using ground truth from the other properties we've got in the region, the vacancy rate was below 1%, 0.75%. So you have a region with a 0.75% vacancy rate, extremely tight. Mm-hmm. Then within the region, you've got a suburb which had two houses for rent. Now, the media don't talk about that. Yeah. And I don't know if there's an agenda behind it or perhaps there's not enough um, wisdom, mm-hmm. perhaps. Nonetheless, it's not being talked about so when we get even more granular than that if i use that example we've not just taken general accommodation we've actually drilled right down into the property type yep even down to how many bedrooms there is so we're talking about houses rather than just the general Mm -hmm. vacancy rate uh if you will because if i look at if if i've and i've got a few numbers up here in front of me um which is from july to be fair so that was the the last statistical grab which is uh, important as well steve because a lot of these statistics data and all that I- is a quota behind right so when, yeah. when we are on the ground we're seeing these changes um, playing out in front of us well ahead of where the media is yep and let's use that as an example let's so let's use some ground truth if you will so the sydney city so from july last year it was a 3.5 percent vacancy rate in july this year it's 3.6 it's not a significant change. It's not a significant yeah. change. Considering everything that's happened. And some of that double digits, double digit vacancy rates. Uh, Melbourne, this time last year, was uh, 2%, or sorry, July, 2%, 3.1. Mm-hmm. Clearly, that's an obvious. And I love some of the media reports around this. Like, it's such an obvious statement. Of course, things have you know, happened be- because of a lockdown. Yep. You know, nothing will stay the same. I think it's just trying to fill lines. Nothing against the journals. You're all good. Um, Brisbane, 2.4% last year, 2.2%. So it's it's become tighter this year. Correct. This is July. Uh, Perth, interesting one, 3% last year, 1.3% this year. Significant. We've we've been talking about Mm -hmm. this. Uh, Adelaide, 1.1% down to 0.9%. Yep. Now, Adelaide is a, uh, well, in South Australia, clearly. Um, Vic, there's some laws around that in terms of... That's right. Yeah. So uh, last time we checked, uh, you could only do 12-month leases. Uh, and if you were planning to put the property in the market, you have to disclose that well ahead of time. Uh, so certainly with each state, uh, you need to look at what the laws are, the tenancy laws are, as they morph, especially with what's happening in the markets today in terms of um, the lockdowns and all that. And, and equally importantly, as the each state laws become more and more stringent, uh, tilting a lot more towards the tenants uh, in, in that sense because uh, by and large, a large majority of the population is renting um, a, a at some stage in their life. So uh, there is naturally a, um, 
change in terms of how the legislation is formed and then later on we'll start to see it tilt back towards the landlord so it, it's always a uh, you know one one upmanship oh, all I the find time it, it is and it's never that point wherever that everyone's happy Correct. essentially and i'll get back to the numbers in a minute but it just reminds me of a story it wasn't too long ago literally what three four months ago where you know land were landlords yeah, we were genuinely concerned about these new laws that were starting to roll in to protect the tenant, and there's nothing wrong with that. There was elements of protection that was needed mm-hmm. from the unscrupulous um, you know, pot of landlords, which there were some. Uh, so protection was warranted. But it will go back to a state of normality. However, I think it'll get worse before it gets better, That's especially right. once they start to see these rates or these rents increase I think there'll be an element of protection from the state governments and the, and the different um, associations. So uh, Canberra, 1.1 down to 1%. Darwin, 2.9 down to 1.4. Uh, Hobart, 0.5 up to 0.7. Uh, and, of course, nationally, it was 2.3 this time last year uh, and it's 2.1 now. But that's there's some anomalies in that mm-hmm. data. But when we look at the CBDs... Um, we're double digits, 13%. I'm not going to go into the decimal points. 13% for Sydney, uh, 14 for Brisbane CBD. This is all the attached high-rise, which yep. is distorting these numbers. Uh, and stable Melbourne at 8.8. Adelaide, 7.6 from 7.1. And Perth is now up from 5.3 to 5.5. Now, if we look at all those numbers just on the surface, you know, some of us would be rejoicing and some of us may be panicking. But it's not until we actually get granular, which we talked about before on how it will not just affect our portfolio on the types of properties that we own or that we want to purchase, but also the region. Mm-hmm. And w- when we talk about the region, we're also talking about pipeline analysis. Correct. And this is such a major component of not clearly not the now, but what the future holds. So if you look at Brisbane, there's some CBD I'm talking about. There's around about nine to 10,000 units coming online. That's going to affect Significantly. The, future, the future vacancy rate. And Brisbane just lurches from... It's the perfect example of undersupply, oversupply. Undersupply, oversupply just can't ever hold its own, mm-hmm. um, which is a shame. But most CBDs are the same because developers can build up quite quickly on a very small footprint and they may have controlled that. But it's always a little bit behind the eight ball um, and we don't see those the results for a few years to mm-hmm. come. And that affects our, our data points Absolutely quite, does, quite, yeah. quite, quite dramatically. So if we take all of these away, right? So uh, the um, overall trend is that the vacancies are tighter. In other words, there's less properties vacant at the moment and they're, and they're renting out relatively quickly. Yes, there are pockets where the vacancy has absolutely blown out and, and it's it's no secret, right? So we, we've got um, overseas students still not be able to get in. So anything that was um, more conversant towards student accommodation, uh, especially around the universities and all that, they are definitely uh, suffering in terms of um, being able to rent out their property and also importantly, those that were on short stay, so your your um, Airbnbs and all that, now they have gone towards longer term stays as lockdowns happen. So a lot of people have locked in tenants in there for you know f- um, six months, twelve months, depending on their outlook, and that does play in. So these pockets would then obviously still have a larger element of uh, vacancy until that supply is absorbed, in which case that it'll come back to the norm. Whereas everything else further out, um, away from these universities and touristy spots, so to speak, um, they are renting out its business as usual, pretty much. And uh, given the fact that 
there he, there is a slowdown in terms of building. I'm not talking about first home buyers. I'm talking more investors. General, your, your general building. Um, any uh, economical upheaval always leads to this, where we have a decline in value, perceived value, uh, and then we also have an increase in rent. And as the rent starts increasing, people start realizing, hang on, my yields are traveling upwards. And that then starts the cycle of upward growth in terms of value. That's a good point. And it takes me back to the JFC, and we've often talked about this, and we actually, as the JFC, as a bit of an example, being that during the JFC, everybody contracted their lifestyles, and the easiest way to, to control them expenses is usually accommodation. That's an easy fix. You can scale down, so mm-hmm. to speak. And during the JFC, we saw everybody condense their livelihoods into the more affordable areas, and we're starting to see that or not even starting, it's already happening yep. as we speak now. But as a result of that, our yields hold firm and, and potentially also increase as they did during the GFC. And we did our numbers and ours went up by 30%. Our Correct. yields went up by th- our cash flow, our rents, if you will, went up by 30% during the GFC. And I would argue that today, or I'd suggest that today, we are well on our way to seeing increased yields, not even just generally speaking, but in the in the corridors. Correct. Yeah. And it's important to recognize, like, so a- as an example, let's say we got a 30% increase in our rents in, 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 in our areas. As the market uh, supply increases, or more rentals come on the market, you will give back some of that rent, right? But you won't ever go back, in most cases, back to where you started from. So it's always going to be that you will carry some of the increase along into the next cycle, just the same way as your price increases as well. Uh, so a, a really good example would be when Sydney went off its boom uh, 2017-18 and there was all this rhetoric of well, no, property prices went down by 16%, 14%. There were a lot of numbers bandied around. Um, but when you look at it from a reality point of view, it went up by 75 to 85% and we gave back 14%. Which was still above the averages over the... Correct. Ten-year cycle. Yeah. Or per annum basis, I should say. That's right. Yeah. So you give me those numbers any day of the week, provided I haven't bought when it was at 85%. And that's the key. Yeah. That's So timing of the market is, is, as we always say, and as the expression goes, quite important. But if we come back to the to the increases that we're seeing now, and this isn't just a throwaway remark, we are seeing those increases now, mm. but it's being masked, if you will, by some of the legislation, state legislation, about around um, tenant protection. Yep and also perhaps risk management from the landlord's mm-hmm. point of view. And what I mean by that is that there is, if we take some parts of, let's call it New South Wales, where, um, and this is factual once again, where we're seeing 25, 30 groups of prospective tenants through in, in a open for inspection day, mm. like on the surface you'd say that's that's an amazing piece of information there which is not data relevant. Yeah, You, you can't report on that, so it's an, an element of ground truth. But where we see it is in the rent collected from what it was this time last year. Mm-hmm. Now, it's thrown into the pot of averages, but when you get granular, you can start to see these increases already. In uh, parts of Brisbane, there's nothing for rent in, in almost entire suburbs. And from our data collection, from what we were getting or achieving for clients last year in terms of rents and the year before, there's a 10% increase this year already correct in the overall cash flow position of that particular house in that particular region which is being dragged down by the other averages of high vacancies in the cbd so my point is be very careful on the news that you digest and get granular on it 
down to street level. Absolutely. Down to property type. Four bedrooms, three bedrooms, one bedroom, two bedrooms and the like because it is different in every suburb of Australia, just about. But what we're seeing is bigger differences on a state-by-state level. Perth is a, a great example in terms of the data being that's flowing through now isn't what you would call seismic, mm-hmm. you know, enough to group hug and high five, but from a ground truth point of view, we're seeing immense shifts. Immense shifts. And, th- and this is before the curve because data's backward looking for the most. So it's important that we utilise what we know today with some of the emerging trends as opposed to being reliant upon past trends. Yep. Yeah, because data, as you said, is always backward looking. So, you, you know, what you're trying to do is um, look at backward looking stats to predict forward uh, movement in that sense, right? So, um, unless you've got the data as it unfolds in that month, in that week, you can't really make decisions based on just, da- uh, just the stats that's available uh, online. You need to actually be on the ground talking to the agents, talking to um, uh, fellow investors. And also doing a bit of analysis yourself. Uh, and sometimes it may mean that whilst everyone else is charging a higher rent, you're keeping your rent the same because your property is not as fresh looking as an example. So we're talking about consistency of cash flow Correct. more so than anything there. And I think this is where, especially at this time of the year, um, and we probably should have done talked about this subject maybe a couple of months ago uh, and in terms of lease periods. So mm-hmm. usually they're six or 12 months. Yeah? Yep. And one of the things that we always suggest is never to have a lease ending sort of from the 1st of December through to the end of January because it's not a very good time to be looking for tenants. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to stack your leases well before or, or well after. However, this time around, because of the, the swell, if you will, of um, the data that we're collecting and depicting very low vacancy rates, and that very real potential of increasing rents, it might be a good chance now to systematically and tactically let your property go vacant should you have enough buffers and mm-hmm. sort of you know, risk mitigation in place to do what's necessary to the property, whether that be a nice freshen up cosmetically to increase its rent and its overall capital yep. position. Because it's a, it's a great time to do it. As long as, and I stress, as long as there's enough in the piggy bank to That's sustain right. it yeah. and dictated by the area. True. Uh, so uh, our last podcast with, with Phil, we talked about back to basics and, and we did address these uh, fundamental things, right? Because when you look at uh, what's happening in terms of the general economy, so we've got the recession, uh, which incidentally, again, data, it's, uh, we were already in recession when they announced it because it, it's, it's a quarter behind. And uh, didn't you love the headline? Yeah. yeah, we are officially now in a recession. We knew that back from last quarter that it was going to happen. It wasn't mm-hmm. a... As that was a surprise. So That's right, yeah. So um, we're looking at the recession, obviously. We're looking at how loans are working now. So um, the Reserve Bank, um, when they announced that they, they'll keep the rates on hold, left the door wide open for further cuts, but they also uh, encouraged the banks to be a little bit more lenient in terms of lending, right? So a total shift in terms of sentiment. Uh, and, and then also, uh, when you look at all of those plus the fact that uh, your loans are easier to qualify. This is the best time to reset your portfolio, set up your foundations. You've got increasing rent. You've got values that are, are, are going sideways if they're not going, um, you know, if they're not going up. Uh, they're not actually coming down. Yes, there are pockets, whatever we say, there'll be pockets that'll be you know, counter-cyclical. 
Uh, and then you've also got a lot of incentives being thrown by the government. Um, and so this is the best time to relook at your portfolio, uh, reshape it, reset the foundations, perhaps then also start to look at, okay, with the interest rates as low as they are right now, uh, just, we, you know, you and me, Steve, we're, we're looking, actively looking for larger commercial properties in our portfolio. But for the listeners, if, if, they, if we are already have a baseline of residential, perhaps this may be the time to have a strong, hard, serious look at commercial, but put very strong metrics against it. Let's just get to the commercial in a minute because you said a really interesting point around the circumstances that we have <coughs> today. Mm. And without sounding like that property guy, which seems to be our favourite expression of over, the la- over the last couple <laughs> of months, let's just have a look at the positive pieces in the pie around what the future may hold. Now, mm. I'm going to just park aside the health issues with this, but let's just look at the the fundamentals from a property um, investor's point of view. Yep. We have the lowest rates ever. Mm. We have a system that is trying to get money into the economy to make that economy spin via expenditure. Yep. We have the best savings that we've seen in recent decades. In mm-hmm. other words, people getting ahead of their mortgages or even into the bank, uh, into the bank accounts uh, via savings. We have yields that are increasing nearly monthly yep. throughout a lot of corridors um, in Australia. Forget just even for one minute if they're at the right or wrong fundamentally correct area, yields are increasing because vacancy is decreasing. We have zero immigration mm-hmm. because the borders are locked. What happens when they unlock? Yep. We have construction at somewhere 8 to 12 year lows. So that means the pipeline in terms of construction is hampered. The ham- it, It's not there. So there is the potential that we are going to see this inflection point that we've been talking about for over 18 months, well before the pandemic around supply and demand Mm -hmm. reaching that inflection point, COVID just may have amplified it for us. Absolutely. It's it's got a lot of people rethinking as well, right? And and rethinking in terms of job security, right? So it's not about job security, it's about income security. So income via investments. Uh, Because that'll, that'll hold you steady throughout events like this correct and especially when the rates are so low if we just if we bring that into it and we put it on our our, um, private facebook group the other day where i put a a table up where and it was quite general because i had to make some assumptions where it's cheaper to own Mm -hmm. than it is to rent yep on a p&i or an interest only loan now when the general community actually figures that out Mm -hmm. overlaid with a bit of income slash job security there is the potential for that FOMO market. Well, we actually believe that it's already in its infancy. That FOMO market is starting to percolate. That's right. Throughout yeah. areas of Australia. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, you did mention it's, it's uh, cheaper to buy than to rent, right? So, and just putting it in perspective, we talk about yields. So, if we're talking about yields, and let's say it was a 500K property and a yield of 3%, that's $15,000 a year, right? Uh, which, if you're renting, that's what you... That's what you're paying out. Yet to hold a five, $500,000 mortgage uh, and uh, assuming that you are uh, owner-occupied, you're getting that well below that, being that it'll be circa 2.2 or even less. There's some banks that are even looking at less. And going forward, if things stay on the same trajectory, it's more than likely it'll be cheaper still. So it's definitely worth exploring 
whether uh, this is the time where you actually bring forward your principal place of residence um, and, and then perhaps once you've stabilized that, then jump back onto the investment bandwagon. That's a good point because at the end of the day, people like to ignore the fact that even investing in residential real estate, if there's a commercial aspect to it. Mm. It's whilst we, we like the emotional connection with it, which will drive prices because of scarcity and what have you, the fundamental reasoning behind it is cash flow. Yes. Which is brackets yield, uh, brackets, again, vacancy rates, and that has a commercial input to its value. So whilst commercial real estate and residential real estate on the surface are light years apart, there are certain elements of the residential market which is very similar to the commercial investing space being where the value is, a, is attached to the cash flow that it produces. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of the ledger too, as we mentioned earlier on, it could be the same whereas the cash flow it produces in a tailspin also reduces the value of the asset as well, no matter where it is. That's right. So we need to be aware of that as we go into a low interest rate, <coughs> excuse me, low, low interest rate environment, a tightening vacancy arena, mm-hmm. a potentially increase in our in our rents, which gives us more cash flow, which will then create the ebbs and flows of the market as we've seen historically time and time and time again. Now, I do preface that by saying it's not for everybody. No. It's it, this market, whilst we believe as sophisticated investors that have been doing it since 2001-ish, um, a bit before, a bit after because you're older than me, <laughs> it, um, <laughs> is, is that this could be the sweetest time ever for some mm-hmm. and for others it might be an absolute stage of their journey to lock it in yep. and lock it down. That's right. Whether yeah. that be taking advantage of the lowest interest rates ever because they're in a consolidation phase, maybe waiting to sell a few to pay out existing debt, but it doesn't always mean that you should be purchasing. Mm. It should always mean that you're adjusting. Correct. And th- that's a really important word, right? And adjusting could mean something as simple as not buying and looking at your mortgages, restructuring that, or it could mean that you amplify your buying um, um, process that you're buying a lot more right now. In any market, whether it is a hard market or in a market with opportunities like today, there will always be victims, right? And victims in the sense of they haven't addressed the fundamentals, so therefore they're not, um, by, by the end of this cycle, uh, whenever that's, this ends, they may be in a position where they're worse off than they're better because then they start speculating because they think, think that the rents are increasing they see interest rates at record lows and they fluff their numbers in terms of their personal budgets and say, yes, I can afford this. But that, that's where it comes back to, even though the rates are so low right now, you need to be prepared and leave uh, buffers in place so that the, when the rates do go up, that you are in a position to cater for that as well. It's a good point. And there's the difference in it's exactly between the passive investor mm-hmm. and the invested investor which is why we do our reviews, yes. is to keep everybody accountable for their own portfolios and millions of dollars of debt that they have out of there. It's not something that you can just tuck away to the side and, mm. and revisit you know, maybe you know, once every year. Or It's something that's moving and morphing. It's a, it's a beast that you need to harness. More so than now. Than yeah, anyone. more so than now. And keep everything in check, which is what we uh, do mm. with our clients. I would say... However, that whilst there's some very attractive opportunities, and as I mentioned earlier on, it is not for it is not for everybody. Um, and one of the things that investors are always looking around is that cash flow component. Yes. And if they're not, they should be. Mm. 
then you're not invested. If, if, you, if you're not worried about cash flow, there's something really wrong with yep. your uh, approach to investing. But one of the things that we see a lot of, and, and rightly so to some degree, is around the commercial space. Mm-hmm. Now, I mentioned earlier on that residential, uh, to a degree, has a commercial aspect. Not to a degree, it does have a commercial aspect. Um, however, commercial in its true sense, from an investing point of view, is a different beast once again. And we need to understand the reason why we invest in commercial and what is its job in the overall platform mm-hmm. or portfolio that we have. It's not a matter of, well, we buy one because it just looks good or it seems to do the job potentially. It's such a more sophisticated approach because there's an ele- elevated risk attached to it as well. Correct. Yeah. And, and the commercial in itself is very, very much tiered towards market sentiment. So if you look at right now, um, a lot of offices are becoming vacant or won't have their leases renewed. As we reshape and rework how we're working, how, how we are conducting our businesses, a lot of businesses will start working from remote. They will downsize the office spaces and all that. But when you look at, say, the professionals, um, being your dentists, your doctors and, and, and what have you, more than likely they'll remain stable if not become larger in terms of premises. Uh, and this is where you need to look at it from a viewpoint of stability of tenancy, uh, stability of value, and also where they are in terms of um, being able to offload it at some point in time. It won't, you won't be able to offload it as quickly as a residential property because, first of all, there are less buyers out there for commercial properties. Secondly, the finance operates quite differently. And third, uh, you also have a few more hoops to jump through in terms of uh, tenancy, privacy, and all, all that sort of stuff. So uh, it's important to understand that when you're getting into commercial, it is uh, it, it, you need to tick all the boxes because once you're in, traditionally you are in there for the long haul. Uh, and you can't chop and change as you would uh, with a residential property. The liquidity within the commercial market is not there. Mm. Or it's certainly not to the degree of, of the residential market Correct. because quite clearly, as you point out, everybody needs a roof over their head. They don't particularly need a premises mm-hmm. uh, to operate out of. But you did mention, you know, say, the medical field uh, and the trends of, say, office space and some other businesses where they're, they're moving from home because of our ability to work remote. But you're never going to see the dentist working from home pulling teeth from his lounge room chair <laughs> yeah, or anything like that. So it's quite specific yep. here. Um, but with the commercial, the reason that people go into commercial is around the cash flow. Correct. Right? We can paint it any which way we want, but that's what it's about. And on the surface, there are some pretty handy numbers to be had, but we need to, to weigh up the risk and the reward, mm-hmm. which is the cash flow, the net yield, and be absolutely sure that you know what you're getting in, getting into. Now, the, the disclaimer, or not the disclaimer, to preface this, we've been doing commercial for many, many, many years. We don't publicly speak about it in large volumes because it's not for everybody. It's a very sophisticated approach and it should be there to underpin Correct. the cash flow rather than be a cornerstone of the mm-hmm. portfolio. Yeah. Because the risks are too great. If, you, if you're vacant, you're vacant for longer periods of time. Uh, and certainly, traditionally, commercial finance is more expensive than than uh, the residential finance. 
and traditionally your loan to value ratio position is very very different as well now in today's market you can get them virtually at the same rate as your um uh, your residential loans with with some lenders but we need to still keep keep in the forefront of our mind that the traditional approach which is where commercial is uh, 1 to 2% more expensive than residential will come back at some point in time so you need to do your numbers based on that that's a good point because this is what we talked about being or not being passive within your portfolio commercial is even more so correct yeah we're really looking at those economic indicators for the years to come because that they're the ones that are harshly affected as you just quite mm. rightly mentioned rates jump or there could be annual audits yes and uh, especially if you're self employed that can be a, a little bit of a yeah. uh, problem and the lvr position mm-hmm. and the location and the premises type um so you need to understand all the all the risks involved but if you mitigate those risks and you use it for what it is as a tool commercial is in our opinion is a tool around cash flow that environment in environments like that we have today it could be well worth entertaining using that very tool mm-hmm. in combination with a few other uh, very sophisticated strategies to start utilizing that excess cash flow against the mortgages correct yeah rather than being speculative and using it as a passive vehicle to to live large in a passive income environment it's to utilize that over and above excess cash flow mm. to do its job that's right yeah so what you're saying is you're taking a very deliberate approach in plugging in a commercial property into a already established portfolio uh, where you may have as an example um, in today's rates almost neutral cash flow and you now plugging in a commercial to amplify the pos- positive cash flow or increase the cash flow um it does does a couple of things it certainly helps with the mortgage paydown uh, or, or or certainly um if you want to fund your lifestyle using that yes you could do that i suppose um the don't, other don't do that <laughs> the <laughs> other the other thing that we need to be mindful of is that if you get it wrong and this is why we want to get the residential portfolio done first and then plug in the commercial if you get it wrong it actually impacts on your borrowing capacity because from a residential stage uh, your residential side of uh, lending they're looking at commercial and they're shading the rent quite significantly so they're only allowing you say 60 uh, 60% um, in in most cases they will uh, take the mortgage as principal and interest usually 15 to 20 years uh, and certainly um, that is also reflective in then the ability to borrow further money uh in terms of the residential part of it from a commercial side it does, it, it works quite differently in terms of finance and and um, when we get uh, z sure back uh, in one of our podcasts we will make sure that we put this question to him as to how to structure it best but from what i've done in my portfolio and what you've done in your portfolio we've done the residential side first so that it doesn't impact significantly and then built up the commercial from there i think it's it's weighted to to the individual's risk mm. because i like to to sleep at night it was residential first yep. and because i think there's um there's so many more moving parts within the residential piece if mm-hmm. you will uh that educates you well enough to then step to that next level of commercial rather than the other way around because commercial is actually quite hands off mm. approach because it's you, you got the property manager you got a net you got really other than your mortgage very little outgoing so on the surface it seems quite attractive if you step from commercial into resi there's so many more moving pieces as i say usually you're very quickly jaded within the 
the residential space or it's a reaction to what commercial's not doing for you. Mm-hmm. Because as we've said a quadrillion times, cash flow is just one component. We need that growth. And growth and commercial is directly tied to its cash flow. Yes. And its value, mm. which is then, if I do the full circle back into the into the residential piece, is that there's still a commercial aspect to residential real estate and we can't ignore that. Actually, something just came into my head. I don't know if we mentioned it on the last podcast or in our Facebook Live, uh, and the the efforts to which the government via the Reserve Bank, via APRA, via the lending institutions is trying so hard to get the money in the economy that there was a new product. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, uh, and this is with ANZ where it is actually a commercial loan which can be tiered against any property as such. Um, the lend, uh, the borrower needs to be an entity, so in other words, a trust, a company, uh, but the owner of the property could be anyone or anything. Uh, and you get up to 87.5% loan-to-value ratio at home loan rates. That's just interestingly. Mm, interestingly. In, so yeah. what's the rate for, say, so two or three years? 2.95. Now, I, I don't get any two point anything so my investment portfolio just saying maybe i should look at that product but and sorry the, it, it gets better uh, it's actually a quasi low doc product right so you get minimal paperwork uh, in there and provided uh, your exposure in that entity doesn't doesn't uh, exceed a million dollars and yeah of course you still got to tick a few boxes yeah uh, you will get the funding but it, it's a the reason i bring it up is cuz it is a quasi yeah low doc facility mm. this product didn't exist 12 months ago no. and even in its uh, most comparable form those rates were circa five and a half to six percent on the low doc side that's of things, right or no doc side of things whichever way you want to look at it mm-hmm. 12 months ago now that product compared to 12 months ago is just it's daylight and, and people need to, yeah, people need to understand that whatever it takes is is what is happening in terms of getting the economy to spin. Mm-hmm. And that can only happen by getting money into the economy. It's all good to have cheap rates, but if it's not being lent, then it's irrelevant. That's exactly right. And it also um, highlights the fact that you need to be doing constant reviews in a portfolio. And one of the reviews is, is whether your mortgage is still relevant to the market today, to the portfolio today, and to your circumstances today. Can it be sharpened? Uh, you should always look at that uh, that that question. Can it be sharpened? Six months ago, it was on rates only. Mm-hmm. But how quickly things have changed. Yep. Now coming back to, uh, I suppose, the topic around vacancy rates, mm-hmm. how we might be very well going towards or leading towards the best rates we've ever seen with some amplified cash flow. Yep. It's the the double down that you play for, you train for. That's true. So to speak. And I think we might have said that uh, probably five, six, seven, ten podcasts ago. Everything up until now has been training. Yeah, absolutely. At this moment in time. It, it is that exciting. Now, once again, I preface that by saying it's not for everybody. We need to be very careful. You should get the right advice with, from the right team players that you have. Uh, but generally speaking, and taking away the actual health component of this, mm-hmm. it's pretty exciting. No, it is. It is. And, and uh, again... Like we said in the beginning, this is where you look at fundamentals first. You look at fundamentals. Back to basics. Back to basics. Uh, Otherwise, you will come out of this and you may not have given yourself the best chance. I want to add to it too, 
it's at this time where perhaps the the unworthy, one of a better expression, start to emerge. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'll be one million new Facebook pages. Oh yeah. There'll be a thousand more seminars. Mm-hmm. There'll be so many people that will uh, jump onto that perpetuating bandwagon with the shiniest, most attractive new overnight sensational strategies. Yeah. I would urge everybody, keep it simple, keep it basic so that it's fundamentally correct, fundamentally safe Mm -hmm. for the different pitches and levels within the economy over time so that you can sleep at night and just keep focused. That's right. Yep. Don't 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 chase this shiny stuff. Right? And so we see it all the time. Yeah, we do. And if you look at it uh, historically, uh, there, there has been always whenever there's a boom market, and and more than likely, once all the lockdowns and all that uh, finalizes finishes, we might get into a boom market, right? And every time you look at historically, every time there's a boom market, there's a lot more companies that come out for wealth creation, for um, personal development, all all these seminars that that pop up. Um, and uh, as the market contracts, these people disappear uh, off the social media, off the um, uh, normal beaten seminar tracks, uh, and they then pop up again when the market is hot again. Because what they're doing is capitalizing on consumer sentiment. And trends. In, yeah, trends. And so, so when people feel rich in between the ears, uh, they tend to spend more money, they tend to um, buy different types of properties, different uh, courses and so forth. So they're capitalising on that. It, um, I saw a really interesting one in my email box the other day from, from someone who is offering, I don't know if it was one or two free cars hmm. for every yep. property purchased. You're uh, paying it. You're paying for that car. Yeah, it's not who free. do you think is paying for <laughs> it? it um, but they're an advisor yeah. as well, which is really one of those points for us which is quite... Um, challenging and, and personal to us because of our advocacy within the industry. Mm. Uh, so my my suggestion to everybody is make sure that whomever you deal with is adequately licensed, uh, is adequately insured, also has the appropriate individual state licensing and I think extremely important, importantly, is that they hold a QPIA or a Qualified Property Investment Advisor uh, ticket, mm-hmm. if you will, because there's there's some longevity behind that, um, and there will be people, unfortunately, within the industry that will start to enter uh, and be a little bit untoward. So there is some attractive stuff that's going to be absolutely coming through your media profile very soon. Beware of the cars be, be and, be and the flat screen TVs. <laughs> yeah, what, was it, what do we say? Anyone is standing in front of a helicopter boat or a red Ferrari, do, yeah, run the other direction because yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. just not quite true. So let's just bring it back um, and to to wrap it up a little bit. The vacancy rates that we are experiencing personally and through our clients' portfolios is reducing mm-hmm. consistently. Significantly. Yeah, significantly and consistently, which is a direct reflection in the consistency of the cash flow and the overall cash flow position followed by price mm-hmm. or value, capital growth. Uh, commercial has a real part to play in the overall portfolio. Um, be aware of the risks, yep. uh, the upside and the downside. The downside might be around lending uh, or it might be around shading as we uh, talked about or you talked about. But... As with any other asset class, commercial has needs to have a direct reason for being there. It's a tool. Mm. For us, it's a tool rather than a result Yep. for longevity. That's right. 
And then that way we get to the overall goal, which is the retirement of debt on our portfolio. It's just Mm -hmm. one tool that we get to leverage, one piece of the puzzle. Which leads to income surety. Correct. And that's what we're all after at the end of the day. We're not doing this for for giggles, yes, so to speak. So it's been a good one, Vic. Yeah, it's been a absolutely. lot, a lot to talk about, and I, there's so much more information that's coming through. Just make sure that you tune into our, our Facebook page, or if you are an existing client, into our live, also live into our Facebook group. We do the Facebook lives just so that we can keep in touch with everybody and give you our thoughts mm-hmm. uh, on the emerging trends and what's true what we deem not to be, uh, which is quite a lot, unfortunately. Um, but also that it gives everybody a chance from an educational piece because it's this isn't rocket science. No. Rocket science. There's no secrets to it. It's just how you bring all the pieces together to make an educated decision. Correct. At the end of the day. All right, my friend. All right. We, we are done for another you. fortnight. We'll, uh, we'll do the next recorded version. I think it's in a fortnight mm-hmm. uh, in the studios with Phil and then... We're back here again. Back here again. We'll see you then.